It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. Good afternoon and you're very welcome to The Late Lunch on this frosty Tuesday afternoon. Joan Larkin here sitting in for Jerry all this week. We've a packed show today, so let's get straight down to business with an issue that's been causing a lot of debate just down the road from us here in the town of Navan over the past few weeks. Opposition's building against plans to fell 22 trees and demolish and relocate 300 metres of old stone walls near the 15th century Athlumni Castle in Navan Town. Archaeologists have rode in behind the Save Navan Heritage Group who are opposing these plans, which they say will knock down the mature trees and run a cycle route right through a protected national monument. Joining me now on the line to tell me more is one of the archaeologists supporting the Save Navin Heritage Group, UCD archaeologist and Navin native Claire Ryan. Claire, you're very welcome to Late Lunch today. Thanks, Joan. Thank you. Claire, can you take us right back to the very beginning here? When did the plans for this cycle route come to light first? Well, I suppose the um, the first signal that it was, um, you know, the, the cycle lane was was going ahead was when it was presented in the um, the papers. There was a notice of proposal development, um, and that was on the 29th of September, uh, 2018. So, because it is um, what's called a part eight of planning, uh, within eight weeks, then the submissions have to be made. Um, and after, of course, the eight weeks, the submission date closes. Uh, the re- it then goes to the chief executive who prepares the report for the um, the councillors, the seven councillors, the local councillors in Avon, who then vote on whether the actual um, you know uh, uh, planning or, or the actual routeway can go ahead. I suppose so. I think the 29th September is when it came um, to notice first. Right. So the the cycle route is going to do a lot of damage, isn't it, Claire? Can you explain the extent of the damage if it goes ahead? I can. Um, if uh, for people who are familiar with the the Athlone area, uh, if you're standing with your back to the entranceway to Loretto School, you know the secondary school there, mm-hmm. and you turn left and you walk up the roadway uh, to nearly as far as Athlone Castle itself, uh, the beautiful old stone walls all along there are going to be demolished. Um, then the stone wall just past. Um, that area, the cycle route crosses over, sorry, so just past that area, um, opposite the castle, there's a really old stone wall there. Um, Violet Hill House is just behind it. It's mm-hmm. where the old St. Mary's School used to be. Right. Uh, and that mm-hmm. particular wall dates to 1756, the St. Thomas Williams map. Uh, now, the old um, walls themselves, they run through 
uh, three zones of notification that are archaeologically very sensitive. Uh, of course, Othrumley Castle is very well known. Uh, it is a national monument, so it has the same protection maybe as Tara or Newgrange, any of the national monuments. So to um, to demolish any walls, to do any works within these zones of notification um, has to be referred to the National Monument Service. And in particular, a national monument has to go for what they call uh, ministerial consent. So it has to be agreed by national monuments that any works can take place, you know, within or, or near Athlone Castle itself. Right, Claire. and for people who may not know the castle and the area, what condition is it in? That whole area? Um, the walls themselves are in good yeah. condition. Um, there may be a few little areas that need repair. Uh, the trees have been, um, logged has been healthy. So mm. we have 22 mature trees that are right behind the walls. Um, these are, the plan is to fell those trees to in order to enable a two-metre um, space to, I suppose, be made available for the um, inclusion of the cycle lane itself. It seems a lot of local people in Navan and the surrounding areas didn't really know about this. They didn't know about the plans first. Yeah, absolutely then, right, Joan. I mean, yeah, when they I, found um, out, they didn't know about the extent of the damage that this proposed cycle lane no, would they cause. No, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I myself um, only found out about it three weeks ago. Now, I knew about the cycle lanes going in, and, and don't get me wrong, we're all for the cycle lanes. I think they're a great idea. Um, it's just at the expense of, you know, our built heritage, our ecosystems and our beautiful trees as well. You know, a cycle lane, um, you know, the significance of it really, you know, can't justify uh, demolishing or knocking what is to, to the extent of what they want to do, what is there already. And I see uh, our famous Navin man and Hollywood star Pierce Brosnan has I know. fond memories of this area. He's spoken about that recently. How important would he be in this campaign, do you think? Well, Pierce um, is, is, as you know, um, a local um, Navin man. He visited the area quite recently, only in 2017, with his wife, Kelly. And there's a really lovely photograph of him taken with his back to one of the walls that are due to be demolished. And he's looking at his grandfather's um, home place. And he says, um, you know, he, he has a, um, a little bit of, a, a, I suppose, an article attached to the photograph that says, you know, he's there, he's looking, he's reminiscing and fondly remembering his time in Athlone and his time mm. fishing with the grandfather and how much, you know, I suppose, the area, you know, means to him. Um, so yeah, Pierce, um, James Bond, uh, superstar on board is, is no harm. <laughs> yeah, he said he was five years of age. He remembers being five years of age. So this area did uh, strike a chord with him, even as a young boy. Absolutely. I mean, it's a beautiful old area, um, and uh, aside from the, the you know the associated archaeologies and history, just to walk up that roadway and to take in the beautiful old um, scenes that are there. I mean, you can't um, replace what's there already. Um, it really will have a very modern, very new look. And all over the country, people are going to places that have history, you know, that have stories to tell. And they'll go to these places in particular. People can go and see a cycle in with the rebuilt walls anywhere in Ireland. But to go and see this as it is today is quite unique. And the old castle is beautiful as well. So it just takes aesthetically from the whole area um, mm. if, if this goes ahead, as is. I see a quote here from yourself saying that um, felling 22 mature trees is environmental vandalism. That's in my opinion. That, mm. um, I don't know why you would knock down mm. 22 beautiful old trees to replace them with, with new trees. I mean, to me, that doesn't make sense. You What's know, the solution? Trees there working. Yeah, Claire, um, what, I mean, I drive past there quite a bit. My kids went to secondary you, yeah. school. Well, they went to secondary school in Navan. They're finished okay, school now. But yeah. I, I used to drive past there quite a bit. The traffic's chaotic on that road. Absolutely. I mean, there does a cycle lane is probably needed. I mean, what is the solution then? I think maybe, you know, if the council, and certainly is, is their job, they have the engineers to, to work all this out. But even a shared space surely is more 
acceptable. I was up there um, last Saturday week. Now I go up there a lot like yourself. I'd be passing. So I was up there and taking a group around just showing them the, the area. And um, while I was there, um, one cyclist passed me for the 90 minutes I was there. And when you when you get past Loretta School itself, heading towards the old castle, the road quietens down a lot. There's mm. lots of people coming and going to the school. They come as far as the gates and they go back down towards the Kentstown Road. Um, fewer people would make their way up um, along the continuing roadway. But um, a shared space may be uh, an option that, you know, maybe cyclists could use. They, they use this a lot on the continent, um, where they can't put cycle lanes in because of these reasons, really, I suppose, where they share the space. So a cyclist and a pedestrian has a shared space there. So I think, um, you know, the, the council, if they revisit these plans, I'm sure they will come up with something, mm. you know, a little more intrusive. Yeah, the municipal councils are due to vote on the yeah. plans in the coming weeks. Do you think, are they listening at all to the objections? Do you know what their stance um, is now, yeah, Claire? I think they are. I think councillors are very reasonable people. Um, mm. And of course, the word, word they're electorate as well. So. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think they are. I think... Um, you know, I can see why they want this to go ahead. I can I can understand their reasons for wanting a cycle lane. I mean, absolutely, totally in agreement with that. Um, but they need to take on board the level of destruction, just the sheer level of it, to enable a cycle lane. You know, um, and I think they are listening. And I know that some can some councils have you know declared themselves very much against this scheme. Yeah. Uh, some can, councils are undecided. Um, and I'm sure there are a few councillors who um, would really like it to go ahead as is, but uh, we're lobbying them at the moment, and there have been a lot of submissions um, from local people, from residents, from the lobbying group, and from fairly eminent archaeologists as well who have worked and have studied this area extensively. I see, uh, Claire, also that you're working yourself on another very important project at Douth Hall that made national and international headlines over the summer. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? How are things going over there? Yeah, they're going very well. Um, the area itself is um, just, I suppose, it would be north of the main Douth Monument um, in, in the Douth Hall area. Um, yeah, the excavations are going ahead. They probably will finish up pretty soon, I would imagine. Um, the um, area itself, we have kind of excavated as much as, as needs be. And um, the agencies involved in that, um, of course, the UCD, um, you know, National Monument Service, Devonish, people that own the grounds here, um, you know, they'll all get together now and the decisions will be made as to uh, what happens in the future with the, the actual um, monument in the area itself. But can you remind really us about it, Claire? Sorry, the, the initial discovery there during the summer. Can you remind us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because um, the, the, the site here in, in Dalcone is a part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site, um, it, it has uh, even stricter regulations, I suppose, on what can happen here, what you know, excavations mm. or, you know, building can take place, construction, I suppose. So there's a resident archaeologist here who supervises um, all the work that takes place. And uh, she was here when they were knocking an old conservatory. Uh, the conservatory was knocked and just a small clearance of terraces. She was here monitoring. And some of the larger stones, one of them in particular, just started to peak up a little bit. Uh, so basically from that, um, the archaeologists, the team of archaeologists were called in and the excavations have been ongoing now. Um, I suppose 2017, 2017 we started. So it's going. They're going now for a while, and the team has been here working extensively all the time. But it is best practice to have um, an archaeologist on site, and it's just supposed to show how well it can actually work. It must be really fascinating to be working on on a, an archaeological find like that. It must be a great time to be an archaeologist in Meath, is it, Claire? It is absolutely is. Yeah. Apart from the cold and the rain. Um, I actually got into the car to take this interview to try to warm up so I could talk to you. So there are days it's, it's pretty cold. Um, but the the excitement and the extent of the archaeology in this area 
Um, it really is um, the find of a lifetime, as they say. Do you think you'll be up there on that site for some time to come, Claire? Um, I think the post-excavation work will have to take place. And um, I know Tina and uh, Luna, she's the resident archaeologist, she's a full-time employee here. So she will be here to, to monitor any, um, any future um, you know, uh, uh, construction work that's taking place. So I'll be here for a little while longer, I would imagine. Was it your dream when you were a young girl, Claire? Is this always what you wanted to do? Um, no, not really. I've always been interested in history. Um, and I suppose archaeology and just the area itself I mean around the Brunabonia area the Boyd Valley it's absolutely beautiful so even as a child we would go and see things and I uh, would be going to you know maybe Newgrange and Tara I live quite near Tara so it's always been um, been in the blood I suppose to go and see these things or to, to look at history or archaeology so um, it was only really when I um, went to university that I kind of you know got really interested in and certainly the Boyd Valley well, you grew up and were surrounded by it all your life, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a natural yeah. progression to go into a studying it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Claire, I want to say it's been both educational and a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thanks Thank a so million much, for taking the time to talk with me today on Late Lunch. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Take bye care. Bye. Thanks, Claire. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Did you know? Shamey Walsh Interiors Town Parks RD will make a couch to suit any room, any size, and yes, we still reupholster. We stock ready-made curtains, beds, lamps, and much more. So call today to Shamey Walsh Interiors Town Parks RD, your one-stop interior shop. Come on, the town and gift Dundalk shop local gift vouchers all the way this Christmas. Hi, Barney here. We are proud to invite you to visit our award-winning Flower Hill Furniture Store here in Navan. You will receive excellent customer service and the best prices in quality furniture in the Northeast. Award-winning Flower Hill Furniture Navan for excellent quality and a huge range of bedroom, kitchen, dining and living room furniture. Visit flowerhillfurniture.ie We look forward to seeing you. Wheezing or sneezing? Here's another handy tip from our expert on coughs and colds. Andrea Burke, Staunton's Life Pharmacy, Navan and St. Johnstown. Your immune system, which helps to keep those nasty coughs and colds at bay, works best when you're getting good nutrition, plenty of exercise and plenty of sleep, and when you keep stress levels to a minimum. Wishing you a healthy and happy Christmas from all the team at Staunton's Life Pharmacy, Navan. Life Pharmacy. Live better together. Here at Kia, we really love Christmas. Perhaps it's because we're all about giving like 0% APR on all 191 Seed Sportage and Stonic models. And when you order your 191 Kia, we'll also give you a 500 euro super value gift card, absolutely free. Well, that's Christmas sorted. This is Jack Doran, and honesty is the only policy at Jack Doran Motors, main Kia dealer Strahada, 0419845677 or jackdoranmotors.ie. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors. Drive with peace of mind. 041 983 
Welcome back to Late Lunch. Yes, the girls are certainly having fun here today. Myself and Sinead in studio with you here all afternoon. We've a text in here from Eric in Dundalk on the back of our last article about that alumni in Navan. He says, hi, the same thing's happening at the rear of Pierce Park in Dundalk. They're going to demolish stone walls and about 50 trees to build a housing estate. There's just too much cutting going on. Thanks for that, Eric. Now, myself and Sinead, we're talking off yes. air there about a couple of things that are happening around the house here today. Puddings. Christmas yes. puddings, Sinead. Tell Christmas me about this. Christmas puddings. Now, this is a unique competition, Joan, that is sort of fairly synonymous with late lunch, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. And for the past couple of years, Jerry Kelly, as you know, is a massive foodie. Oh, totally. Loves his grub. He always brings the most amazing things in here uh, for yeah. to eat. But he loves Christmas puddings and he launched this competition a couple of years ago to find the best Christmas pudding in the northeast. So, from about next week on, uh, we'll see a flurry of puddings <laughs> arriving in the door Coming here. in the door here. Yes. Uh, so we'll be up to our necks and puddings. Yes. So what happens is uh, we get a couple of little samples of puddings. Now, some people give us the whole pudding, you know. Uh, well, some we, don't give us a, we don't mind either. that now uh, Some people give us a slice or whatever. And uh, Jerry and the team, not me, unfortunately, because nobody gives a gluten-free pudding. Oh, poor uh, Sinead. Joan, Let me get I'm my sorry. violin. Hang on a minute. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so every year I put it out there in the hopes that one little gluten-free pudding might arrive in, but it never does. But anyway, uh, in fairness, it's quite hard to make the gluten-free puddings. But uh, yeah, they come in in their droves and our mm. tasters get to work and then we whittle them down to a final five. Right. And then our monthly panel of Women With Opinions they will sample the five puddings and uh, basically they'll crown the overall winner the at the winner. end of it. So we okay. need people from sort of next week on to start sending in their samples. Now, really important that you label them, name, address, phone, phone number, number, that we can get in touch with you, all your details uh, on the puddings so that we know whose is whose and, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, normally people just, you know, wrap it up in tinfoil. Don't be giving us any expensive dishes now or anything like that that you want back again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the, so that'll be next So week. that's getting them into us on Friday the 21st of December then the, the winner will be announced. Yes, yeah, by the, that's right. By Jerry's ladies. Yes. The women's with opinions. Okay, that's a brilliant competition. So everybody out there who knows how to make a pudding, I haven't the first clue. I have never made a Christmas pudding. Oh, have you not? No. no. And I'm not a fan. I don't, I just don't oh, like anything no, like that. I do that. like that's it. No. Christmas food and me, we don't go well. Oh, do you not like Christmas food not now at all? Really? No, no, not really. I don't like. I don't like mince pies. I don't like pudding. I don't like Christmas oh, cake. <laughs> what would you eat then? Now, you Christmas? think I'd lose weight over Christmas? Not a chance. <laughs> but what would you eat now for the for the Christmas treats? Well, well tins of roses. I'm sure no, you like them. No, 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 not mad about them now oh, either. God, no. Joan. <laughs> Joan, no. What's, what's Listen, what you there's eat? always other types of cakes now, Sinead. Like oh, I know, I'm thinking now with fresh cream, and I'm your girl. You <laughs> well, <know? laughs> well, you know, I I must say it is nice as well to have an alternative sort of mm. desserty type idea as well for Christmas. Because yeah. in fairness, it's not everyone's cup of tea though. No. Christmas. Pudding. But I do like it, and uh, I must say a, a big thank you to yourself, Joan, because I was oh, bemoaning yeah. the fact that I couldn't get any mince pies that were gluten free that were nice tasting. Now, there's plenty of mince pies out there, you know, that, that are, are gluten free, but nice tasting. Tastes like cardboard, do they? Yeah, yeah. Most of them are chalky or cardboardy. But the lovely Joan kindly gave me some gorgeous mince pies, which I had one heated last night with a <laughs> tiny bit of cream on it and a cup of coffee. Oh my god! Just happened Wonderful. to come across them in Aldi. Yeah, that's where I got fantastic. them. Fantastic. Yeah, just happened to come across them. Speaking of food, do you remember the article we did yesterday yes. about the restaurants with Mark McGowan from Scholars? Did you see the Irish Daily Mirror today have um, picked up on the story? And they're telling a story about a poor chef in Dublin. Uh, the line is, kind-hearted guests saved the day for a restaurant after a group of 14 cancelled at the last minute. This is the story about people just making up 
They are ringing up restaurants, making bookings for big parties especially and then just not showing up. Not even phoning to say that they can't make it. But anyway, Gaz Smith from Michael's uh, Michael's restaurant in Dublin in Mount Merion, he took to Twitter and he said he was facing a disaster. He posted this. He said, lads, a 14 no show. I feel sick. An absolute disaster. Now, I think his restaurant seats about 28 in total. So it's only a small place. So he said, we've been working so hard to make the specials and we turned away so many guests who would have turned up were absolutely gutted. So here's a, a, one time that Twitter really worked well in his favour. Loads of people rocked up and said, we'll take the table. We're on our way. We're wow. coming down. We'll save the day. He said it was absolutely brilliant and they saved the day that day. But he said now, here we go again. The thought of asking for deposits, he says, goes against the grain of hospitality. And he thinks that's the wrong tone, you know, when you're going for a night out. But he said, we're left with no choice if this, this no-show continues. Well, I mean, 14 people. Was that a part of one group? Yeah, it was all one group. Oh, OK, one booking. Mm. Yeah, like that to me now is shocking. And like that's half of his restaurant. But do you know what? There are obviously good people out there and the Twitterati as we'll call them obviously saved the day there by coming to his rescue but yeah look it, it just hits at home even more and you know yeah. Joan we actually did a poll on our Facebook yesterday about this about would you you know uh, cancel your booking or would you just simply not show up mm. and it was 50-50 We were shocked it We were shocked 50-50. that people said nah just wouldn't bother wouldn't show up wouldn't call that yeah, people actually, yeah. Well, hopefully us it. bringing it to people's attention might make people a bit more wary of it, particularly now coming up to the Christmas time. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Hospitality sector, I think now I have a small bit of experience in it myself. And uh, it's not the, the easiest industry to work in. They do work so hard. You know, and this just makes things more difficult. Did you see in this article actually again on this, one person even emailed this guy from Scotland. He offered to make a donation, despite the fact he wouldn't be obviously coming oh, for dinner. He wow. was in Scotland. He people said, look, man, I'll give you a few quid. Like, that's a disaster. But yeah, people came and, and they just rocked up. And he said, look, I'm not going to dwell on the no-shows tonight. It was absolutely lovely, the support that he got. So, But he said he is thinking about it now deposits in future that's the way it's going that's the way it's going but I think maybe this story has put his restaurant on the map now as well you never know you could get a few more bookings he's on page 20 of the mirror a nice colour picture in the whole lot yeah it's not done him any harm
Tracy Chapman there and Baby Can I Hold You. Now stay tuned because we will be talking to the Queen of Musical Theatre, Miss Rebecca Storm, after the news. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041 983 Welcome back to The Late Lunch. Now, my next guest, unfortunately for me, couldn't come into studio today because she's very busy with her latest lead role in Calendar Girls, along with some of her own concerts over the coming weeks. The First Lady of Musical Theatre, Miss Rebecca Storm, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Hello, Joan, lovely lady. It's great to hear your voice. Same for you, my dear. You've been away for a while. I haven't heard anything from you. You've been very, very busy. I know, I was six months over there in the UK, touring with Calendar Girls. Yeah, when you were last here with Jerry, you were in rehearsals for, for the show for Calendar Girls. Of course, Gary Barlow and Tim Firth's uh, musical comedy t- touring the UK. It's been receiving fantastic five-star reviews, Rebecca. Tell me a little yeah. bit about it. Um, Sorry, the line has gone very, very bad. Let me just see if I can hear you better. What I was saying to you was um, a, the, the musical is about Yorkshire's own calendar girls, a group of ordinary ladies who achieve something extraordinary. Can you tell us a bit about it? 20 years ago, um, a group of ladies got together. They were all in their 50s. They were in the Women's Institute of a small village in Yorkshire, Joan. And um, sadly, one of the ladies' husbands died of uh, leukaemia. Um, and while they were visiting, there was nowhere for them to sit in the visitor's room. And um, after they lost him, the character that I play, Chris, whose real name is Trisha Stewart, um, came up with her own calendar. And she was a little bit bored with the uh, calendars that they did year after year, which was of churches or local views. Mm. And she said, why don't we do a nude calendar, but of middle-aged ladies. Mm-hmm. And they did, and they expected to raise, uh, well, they aimed to raise about £500 to buy a sofa. Um, and ultimately, to date, they have raised nearly £6 million. £6 million. It went worldwide. And one of the reasons, Joan, it went worldwide was because it was so incredibly funny. Because the actual photographer had such a great eye and a sense of humour 
that all the pictures for each month, although the ladies were naked, they were strategically covered with everything that would be associated with what you might think would be a frumpy women's institute group of women. Um, they had cakes, they had jars of jam, they had wine. America came on board, and uh, since then it was uh, a film with mm-hmm. Helen Mirren and Julie Walters, and then a play, and then Gary Barlow came on board because Gary Barlow was a school friend of Tim Firth who actually wrote the whole thing, and he's written some amazing songs, and now it's been turned into a musical, and they've asked me to be in it, so I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you very much. And it's been playing to packed houses in the UK and you're coming to the Borgash in Dublin in January. How's it been received? When you look down into the audience, Rebecca, what do you see on people's faces? It's a very moving uh, piece of work because, of course, the the initial storyline is about Angela losing Don. And he was the instigation for the idea. But then it's hysterically funny. Tim writes extremely funny dialogue, and then touching at the same time. Some of the songs um, that A.J. Casey, who plays Annie, who is the Angela character, Mm. um, she's telling the story of how she feels about losing her husband. So you can see tears in the eyes of so many people as they listen to her story. But then as the piece moves on, we go into the second half, we go into what we call the photo shoot, which is six uh, women, myself included, who all strip off and yet the audience don't actually see anything. But the comedy side of it is how we hide it. Oh, the creatives of the show have been so brilliant in hiding all the strategic places. <laughs> and yeah. the audience, honest to goodness, they are in hysterics. There's shrieks <laughs> of laughter coming from the audience. It's deafening sometimes. We played in the Liverpool Empire to two and a half thousand people every single show. And it's stunning. They incredible and it's been a joy to be a part of How did you feel though Rebecca when you got the first phone call asking you to play the role you may have seen the movie so you would have realised it involved you getting naked on stage how did you feel when you got that call Um, they who initially called me um, a year ago now um, was the original producer of Blood Brothers 1984 would you believe Um, and he's stayed we've stayed friends ever since you know he's quite a big producer now and he called me up and said come over and uh and sing you know it's an audition really you know but they kind of they at my age they say would you like to meet the director because they don't say would you like to audition but in principle i auditioned so to london and um and i sang from the show for them and they said, that was lovely, that's great. I came home. And then they said, would, would you be coming over again? Because Gary Bar, yeah, he's not always available. So <laughs> I went over to Gary. And uh, I sang songs, and then I sat down, and Gary literally said to me, I'm so excited about this, you know, would you be, obviously, you'd like to play the part. And I said, I'd love to. And, and uh, then David said, of course, you know, there is a certain amount of nudity involved. And, uh, you know, how do you feel? And I said, diet and gin, diet and gin. <laughs> That's the only thing I can say to you. There's Gary. a threat hanging over you for any of us want to lose a bit of weight. You're going to get naked on stage in front of Gary Barlow. <laughs> I tell you, that would work for me as well, I think. 
so it's, you know, I mean, so that your listeners are not really off by the idea of seeing me completely uh, naked, you don't really see, um, it, it's seconds worth of that, and it's very much the comedy side of it, as opposed to, um, you know, us middle-aged ladies passing around if there is nothing on. We wouldn't, nobody associated with it would want to embarrass anybody in the audience. And for one second, I don't think anybody is. Um, I mean, we have teenagers coming to see the show because a lot of us have, you know, have children and, and some of us grandchildren, and and, mm. and they love it as well. There's, because it's so funny and because it's so cleverly done, it, it really isn't one of those kind of um, voyeur things where, yeah. you know, people are, you know, people are looking at uh, naked bodies. And when is it coming to Dublin? When does it start? It's, it's coming in January. Okay. It's coming on the 22nd of January. To the Sorry, Rebecca, the, the line is very, very bad. I think we may have to take a quick break and give you a call back on a different line, Rebecca, because the line keeps breaking up, if that's OK with you. Okay, I, I only have the mobile here. That's the, uh, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, we um, know. Do you want to try a different line and call me back? We'll, we'll give you a shout on a different line. We'll just take a quick break and be back to you. Okay, thanks. Thanks, you. Rebecca. Bye. Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041 983 and welcome back to The Late Lunch with the lovely Rebecca Storm on the line. Hopefully the line has improved. Are you there, Rebecca? Hello, I'm here. Can you hear me? Whoa, that is so much better. Thanks for hanging oh. on for us. <laughs> Right. So we had Sorry been about talking that. about Calendar Girls coming to Dublin, coming to the board, gosh, on January the 22nd. But you're on a bit of a break now for Christmas, but you're playing your own concerts around the country. You're busy anyway, Rebecca. Where are you headed to? Um, well, I'm he- on Sunday, I'm headed down to Clonolsey for the very first time to um, sing in the John the Baptist Church. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's pretty sold out. Um, Malahide Parish Centre again, that's sold out. And then I'm doing, once again, I'm doing the um, Ardmore Church, St. Declan's Church in Ardmore, at four o'clock on New Year's Day, would you believe, Joan? Ardmore County Waterford? Yes. Oh, on New Year's Day. Also, you're not going to get much, yeah. of a, much of a New Year's Eve celebration there if you've got a gig oh, the next day. No, we, well, we don't really do the crazy stuff like we used to when we were younger, but um, we're in the Cliffs Hotel, so it'll be a lovely evening. Oh, that's a beautiful place. Yeah, that is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So let's go back just a little bit, if I may, to your early years in music, if you don't mind. Tell me this. When did you first realise that you had this gift for music and for singing? Um, oh, gift! That's a. <laughs> oh, it's a gift! It's a gift! Don't be coy. It's a gift. Okay, okay. I won't be. I won't be coy. Whether I realised I had a gift or not, I certainly love to sing. And um, I think the first time that I was made aware of it was when I was around the eight years old mark, and um, it was a nativity in school. And my teacher um, put me forward for to be with the fourth which was two years older than me to join them and bit by bit they sort of took everybody away and I ended up doing a solo in the activity thing um, and uh, I don't know I mean I think I think my teachers realised and I think my mum did and my teachers said to my mum you know does she go to a choir and mum said no and so I was kind of sent off to a choir and mm. things just sort of graduated from there but I didn't come from a showbiz family yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, where does it come from? Is it in the blood? Is it in the genes? 
Well, my family can sing. I mean, my my two sisters sing, and my mother used to sing, not professionally in any shape or form, but they had, you know, they. my two sisters are still around, and they have voices, and my mum had a lovely voice, but nobody went into it like I did, um, really sort of full-time, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, but I, it's, I wanted to do it. I really wanted to sing from a from quite a young age. Um, I just, I mean, I was born in Shipley in Yorkshire. So in those days, uh, it it wasn't sort of a foregone conclusion how you would get into show business, Joan, you know. Yeah, it's not Uh, like um, nowadays. There's a lot of avenues on how you you can get into showbiz. But in those days, it must have been a bit tougher. It was um, it was a slow, windy process, really, from from a, a, a college going to study music in college, meeting musicians, um, doing weekend uh, social clubs in order to pay my way through college, and um, literally get an agent. An agent would kind of you know get you better work, and ultimately I got a bit of television, and then I think. I mean, apart from, I, I mean, I did lovely tours with people like uh, Bob Monkhouse and Tommy Cooper. I was sort of their support singer. And mm. then I auditioned. I just literally saw an ad for an audition for uh, for Blood Brothers. And I'd never thought really about musical theatre because, once again, I mean, it wasn't really as popular as it is now. Mm. And, um, and I was lucky enough that Willie Russell um, liked my voice and thought that I could do it and offered me the part of Mrs. Johnston. And it opened so many doors from from there on in that, um, uh, yeah, I just, I suppose it's just, it's one of those kind of ladder things, you know, where you just climb up very, very slowly and tentatively. And and, uh, and I've managed to have a career for for 43 years. I'll say it quick, so it doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) Say it fast. But you were just 23 when you got the role of Mrs. Johnston. I was, yeah, yeah. I was. I was. I was to do a job on you with makeup and, and and wardrobe to make you look like 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 a mother of seven. Is it seven? Um, yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, they they basically um, made me look like my mother. <laughs> my my hair was pinned back in grips <laughs> and um, kind of a white face makeup with uh, red lipstick. And right. yeah, when I think back now. <laughs> Yeah. They just, yeah, they wanted to make me look on. But, you know, it's um, it's one of those things where you have to be convincing. And at 23, I don't think you'd be that convincing as a as a mother of seven. No, but obviously you know, but your voice convinced him enough to give you the part. Um, there were, um, Willie wrote sort of quite folky style melodies. And, and I used to sing folk songs. And I think he just heard that in my voice. And I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time, frankly. Well, you know, you've played some of the most demanding roles in musical theatre, though, down through the years, like Ava Perone in Evita and Fontaine in Les Mis. Do you have a favourite of your own? Is there one that stands out to you as the favourite for yourself? Um, it's, it's hard to say. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Favorite role because it, in their own way, they were all amazing to do. Um, I, I'm still playing Mrs. Johnston 30 odd years later, so that would have to be you know, high up the list. Mm. And that was my opening into musical theatre generally. And also, Mrs. Johnston is such an amazing character that um, audiences fall in love with Mrs. Johnston. And it, the feeling that you get from the audience is, is really heartwarming. And yeah. I have three generations now of people coming up to me and saying, oh, I saw you in 1984 and I brought my daughter and then she's brought her daughter. And, you know, I can't yeah, you can add so, me to that list. I saw it, yeah, back in the 80s and I've brought my daughter to it since and I've seen it again. In yes. recent years, yeah. It's one that I've seen, I think, three, maybe four times I've seen. Yes, it. a I lot d- of people have seen it like 10, 15 times. With, yeah. And it's still going. I mean, it's still touring. And it, uh, I think it's coming to the board, gosh, again in March. And sadly, I won't be in it this time because I'll oh. be in Calendar Girls. You'll be busy on stage in Calendar Girls. Is there any role when you think back and you look back that you would have loved to have played that you didn't? that you didn't get a chance to or it just wasn't the time? Is there anyone that you um, you look now even at the, the musicals that are out there now and say, God, I would love to play that role? Um, there's an awful lot of roles that I think I probably would have would have loved when I was younger. Um, you know, just fun roles, I suppose. Um, I, I did do Dolly, um, Hello Dolly, so I got the chance to do that and that was a role that I, that I wanted to do. Um, Calamity Jane was, you know, I always used to love... Love yeah. that with yeah, Doris really. Day, and I thought yeah. that that would be probably fun. But you know, that's um, I did a show called Hollywood Ladies Joan back in '92, mm-hmm. and that sort of got me. It got it out of me, I suppose, is the best way I can describe it, because I I devised it myself along with the director. So I got chance to do half a dozen other songs from quite a few of the shows that I yeah. perhaps would have wanted to do, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a, it was just a, a review of, um, as it sounds, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood musical. So I did, yeah. I did Mary Poppins and I did oh, Sound yeah. of Music and things like that, you know. And I loved those. When I was a kid, I mean, I saw Sound of Music four times and yeah, the same, the same as an awful lot of us, you know, I'm yeah. exactly the same and, uh, so, yeah, I, I managed to just get that uh, yearning out of me with that particular show. But um, I've been very lucky to play to play some lovely roles. I'm, I'm very grateful that producers and directors have offered me parts. And this, you know, Chris, the part that I play in Calendar Girls, Tim is a very good friend of Willie Russell's. And um, so, uh, so it's really nice. He's written from a woman's point of view the same way that Willie does. Yes, so, yes, you know, it's course. an absolute gift to be offered such a such a role. And it's um, it's quite different from Mrs. Johnston, which oh, I love because yes. so many people associate me with Mrs. Johnston. So it's it's nice sometimes to do something that 
is, you know, it's quite different. Do you know what I want to ask you? I'm curious about a lot of kids these days. They dream of a life in the spotlight up there on the stage. I mean, the number of stage schools in this country has increased in recent years. But, you know, shows like The X Factor, they make it seem so easy, like you just need to have a talent and you'll succeed. I mean, what would you say to youngsters now who are out there, you know, twice a week in, in their stage schools? They live and breathe that this is what they want to do the ups and downs of that kind of life, would you recommend it? That is a very difficult question to answer. Um, And I'll do my best, Joan, without sounding too negative. Oh, right, okay. In my opinion, you absolutely have to want, with with a yearning and a need, to um, be an actress, a singer, a dancer... It has to be something that you want to live and breathe morning, noon and night when you're young. And if you have that, then you are able, I think, to take the rough areas of it because there is an enormous amount of rejection involved in show business. Mm-hmm. inverted commas, the amount of auditions that uh, people go to and don't get the job and, and have to keep thinking, I'll still keep going, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll still keep trying. And, you know, one of these days I'll get a part in something. And, um, and it's, there's an awful lot of musicals out there and there is a bit of work. But for the amount of people that are going for those roles, yeah. you know, it's a narrow path to physically get it. And it's, and it's extremely hard work. And I think a lot of the time it can look easy, but the, the whole job is a bit like, you know, being a presenter like you are. You've got to make it look and sound easy. But there's quite a bit going on in the background. That's so, for sure. Yeah, we're like the, the swan on the water with the legs going crazy underneath that, and you're just gliding along on top. Absolutely. It, <laughs> put, put perfectly. I'm so afraid it, we're running out of time, Rebecca. So I just want to wrap with saying that I'm going to see you in the Borgash in January. I'm bringing my father-in-law. You've met him before. He's one of your biggest fans. Yeah. So he's coming to see the show. So the best of luck with everything. I'll drop well, you a text on the night I'm there. see you, Joan. Thanks. And uh, it's lovely to hear your voice. And, uh, you know, to all your listeners, I think it is, uh, if you enjoy Blood Brothers, you will love Calendar Girls. And I think it is an absolute perfect gift. If you can't think what to give to your mom and your grandma, I think it's a perfect Christmas gift because they will laugh their socks off. Definitely. We will see you in January. The best of luck with everything. Thanks, Thanks so much Joe. for taking time today Love to talk to you on Late Lunch. Love you too. Thank you, Rebecca. Bye bye. I feel so bad. I've got a worried mind. I'm so lonesome all of the time. Since I left my baby behind on Blue Bayou Saving nickels and saving dimes Working till the sun don't shine Looking forward to happier times on Blue Bayou
Gonna see my baby again Gonna be with some of my friends Maybe I'll feel better again On Blue Bayou Saving nickels and saving dimes Working till the sun don't shine Looking forward to happier times on Blue Bayou. I'm going back someday, come what may, to Blue Bayou. Where my folks are fine and the world is mine on Blue Bayou. Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Wonderful Zero. Welcome back to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Now, my next guest has been actively campaigning for the rights of people with disabilities since 2013 when she first became involved with Down Syndrome Ireland when her nine-year-old son Aaron first started school. Aaron was born with Down Syndrome and his proud mum believes he should be afforded every opportunity to reach his full potential. She's currently enjoying her fifth year as president of Down Syndrome Ireland and she joins me in studio now to tell us more about being a mum of a child with special needs and her work advocating on behalf of those with Down syndrome. Mary Doherty, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you, John. How are you? You're from Dunshockland in County Meath. Um, Mary, are you born and bred there or did you settle there in later um, life? No, no, I'm a dub. That Ooh. moved out to Dunshockland 18 years ago and still, despite my neighbours, still say Dunshockland County Dublin sometimes. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but you're enjoying life in County Meath? We absolutely love it. The village is fantastic. The people in there um, and I suppose having a child with special needs, you even see more how a small village and how they embrace someone like Aaron. So you're mum to three gorgeous kids. I you want to tell been. me a little bit about the three of them? Um, Megan is our eldest. She is 12. She just started first year there in the Dunshockland Community College. Um, Aaron then is 10. He's gone into fourth class in St. Shockmills National School. And Caitlin, the baby, is eight and she's gone into third class. So Aaron is the middle child in all of this and he was born with Down syndrome. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Was it a normal pregnancy or did you have any early indications, Mary? Um, do you know what? It was funny because Aaron, number one, was an IVF baby. Um, number two, when I was 12 weeks pre- pregnant, I had a threatening miscarriage that went on for some time. Um, we had a lot of scans. We didn't know. Um, Aaron decided to come early as well on top of that. So oh, it was right. an emergency section. Um, and it took a while before they actually came back to us and told us that they thought he had Down syndrome. And what was your reaction? Because of the threatening miscarriage in that, it, it didn't really 
take that much out of me regarding the Down syndrome. I, I don't know whether I was in shock or whatever. My husband, unknown, he didn't know much about Down syndrome, so I suppose his first response and his first question was, um, how long did he have to live? Oh, right. So he didn't understand anything about he it He didn't really. And he, what he did think was that sometimes uh, children with Down syndrome had bad hearts and died early. Okay. So had you known much about it prior to this? I knew a bit about it because I had a cousin who um, had Down syndrome. But again, she unfortunately died when she was 15. She had a lot of um, health issues. So for me, I suppose when Aaron was born, it's funny, I didn't think about Aaron. I think I thought he would be okay. But it was Megan. And really? all my emotions went into Megan and... Wondering f- how she'd react, is it, to this new baby? No, and- I felt I'd ruined her life, to be honest. Oh, Mary, right. Yeah, that I had put all this responsibility on her and that she was only two and how was I going to make it up to her and what was I going to do for her right. um, rather than for him because I reckoned he'd be okay. He'd be okay, But yeah. she had all this responsibility on her and she was two. Oh, right, okay. You know, so I think for me that's where all my energy went into was, was her. And how did she react when you brought him home? Um, it's funny, it's not even when I brought him home, uh, because he was an emergency section, uh, he had a lot of muc- mucus. So he was in the incubator. And mm-hmm. when she came into the hospital to see him, she insisted on going in to see him in the incubator. And I couldn't move, so my husband brought her down. And she had to give him a big hug. And as my dad used to give the hugs, and he'd give a big ee So she gave a big ee <laughs> to the actual incubator when she saw oh, him. Oh, bless her. And yeah, he was just her brother. That was it? Um, yes. And the paediatrician, yeah. I suppose, in the hospital told us the same. That Aaron is Aaron. And um, it's other people that will start pointing out that his siblings and children won't. But it's adults will start pointing out that he's different. Um, yeah. So we just decided that Aaron was Aaron. And she was two years of age. How do you explain to a two-year-old yeah. about Down syndrome? So we didn't. He's we just, just her baby brother. We took him home and he was our baby brother. Yeah. So tell us about him. He's gorgeous. I saw his photograph online earlier today. He is gorgeous. What, what's he like? Do, do you know what, Aaron? He, he, He's very funny. He's very sociable, but he can also be very naughty and very, you know, just like any other child. He'll do things when he wants to do them. He'll do things his own way. Mm. He fights with his sister. Uh, he fights with us. He's great one day, you know, and then so just your typical 10 year old boy. And what was he like as a baby? Like, was it, it, it most babies are a challenge? I've had two of my own. They are a challenge. What, what was it more challenging with Aaron or did he find a routine early on or, or was it more difficult? What was life like with him? I think for us, It wasn't Aaron, it was us. Um, Mm. I found it very hard that all of a sudden all these people were coming into my home that I didn't know telling me what I should be should and shouldn't be doing with my son. I found that quite invasive. I found some of the comments of some people that were coming to my home uh, quite hurtful, really, um, Mm. and upsetting sometimes. And even talking to some of my other friends who have children with Down syndrome, sometimes you lose your identity a little bit, um, not just as a person, but as a mum. Because for some, you become a carer. And so you may have been working and you may have to have given it up. Um, you have other children, but now you're a carer. And then you've all these people telling you what's best for your child. Right, and, yeah. and I found that a bit strange at the beginning. Do you think we, well, people in general have a long way to go to learn how to deal with this? Or in terms of accepting people with special needs, do you think as a society we've a, we've a long way to What's been your experience with Aaron just having him out and about in his buggy or just bringing him to the playground? I suppose it's this... It's the staring um, right. and the looks. And I, I didn't notice it as much, but if I have other family members with me, they say, is this what happens to you all the time? Right. You know, when you're yeah. out there or people make inappropriate comments. Um, but my experience in general has been very positive. And I suppose we always encouraged everybody just to treat Aaron as Aaron. Um, and even in school, you know, if there's a problem, it's Aaron. Don't think it's the Down syndrome. 
if everything else is not working, well, then we look at the Down syndrome and say, well, is it that and what's the problem and how can we come to terms with it? You know, and we, we've always had that with him. Um, and even up to the time um, he was starting school, that's when we had to tell our eldest daughter that he had Down syndrome. It wasn't because of any other reason and we weren't hiding it and we yeah. weren't ashamed of it. It was just never a subject that came up. He was our brother, but now he was starting school and other people would make comments. So we had to explain it to her. And is Aaron aware that he's different? Does he act out because he uses this for himself as, as the difference as a, as a positive for himself? Or is he aware? No, he, he is aware. Um, mm. And he started to become aware a number of years ago. And how we first noticed it is if we were out and about and he saw another person with Down syndrome, he'd say, Mom, I know that person. Oh. or they're my friend yeah. and now he will go over no matter where he is if he sees a person with Down syndrome and he'll go over and he'll introduce himself because right. we're the same he recognises yeah. yeah kindred spirits so to speak yes. and he'll do and sometimes he'll go over to somebody and they might be non-verbal so he'll, he'll communicate in whatever way that they communicate in um, and then that's it and he just moves off and you ask him why and he says oh because he's my friend he's like me that's he amazing he sounds like an amazing little guy altogether well, he is. Very he, perceptive. He, tries hard. he is, yeah. That's yeah. unreal. So tell me about your involvement with Down Syndrome Ireland then. Back in 2013, was it that you, you became involved? What prompted you? Um, January, still remember, January 2013, Aaron went for this assessment that all our children had to go for at the time to see what assistance they got in mainstream school. And uh, the psychologist told me he had too much language, too much comprehension, was too sociable and the best was much too keen to learn. So we weren't going to give him any help in school. Oh, right. OK, yes. so it worked against him. Yes. Good Lord. OK, so I've heard it all So I was looking now. at this little four-year-old going, all the hard work he's put in, mm. everything he's done, and now they're not going to help it's him. It's gone against him. Yeah, because yeah. they didn't recognise Down syndrome. They okay. said he had a mild intellectual disability, so therefore he didn't need help. And I was going, what about the Down syndrome? Oh, no, but we don't count that. So I was like, this can't be right. Can't, can't, can't be right. Yeah. So I wrote to the lovely minister, um, education at the time Rory Quinn mm-hmm. and they sent me out this standard letter along with a lovely little HQ circular that listed a load of disabilities and all the hours that they got and then underneath it in a little box was Down syndrome in conjunction with one of the above. Oh so I was like, right okay. Yeah Down syndrome wasn't enough. Yeah. So there was a few parents in our local branch here in Loudmead and we got together and we started saying well sure this isn't right and I knew a solicitor that worked for people with disabilities. So I contacted him. We met with him and he said, you absolutely have a case of discrimination. So we worked together and we formed a group called the Down Syndrome Education Equality Advocates and myself and another parent, Lee Rock. Uh, we lived in um, Leinster House and we talked to anybody who talked to us. <laughs> right. um, I gave a talk in Leinster House and we had... Um, a lovely Shay that made a lovely video for us um, Shane, Ca- Shane, Shane Shay Casserly um, he did a lovely awareness video for us with Aaron to try and do our campaign we had flyers we had a lovely band called the Little Beauties that put some music together for right. us we picked a song we wrote to the artist of the song for permission to use the song and we just created and then got parents from all around the country to her, her hound their TDs and tell them that this discriminatory had to stop. Do you feel like though in your campaign, Mary, that, you, you know, you're campaigning so hard, do you sometimes feel like tearing your hair out? I mean, do you come up against issues like government cuts to respite and care services? And do you feel like sometimes it's like banging your head off a wall sometimes? Do you know what it is, Joan? Every day is a battle. Right. And it's a battle for 
anything. It could be for nappies for some of our children that are over a certain age and and the only nappies you have are adult nappies for a nine-year-old. I remember one father getting very upset because he was at home and he was tearing apart the nappies they got to put them together to fit his daughter. Yeah. Do you know? Um, And then people telling you things like, well, you've had your quota. Yeah. Who determines... What's the quota and who determines that? Yeah. You know? Um, Or then just services just aren't there. You yeah. know, Aaron's with the 6 to 18 services and mm. he hasn't had speech therapy. He's now 10. He's been with them four years. He's been waiting four years. Yeah, but but there is someone getting money because he's on a list. Yeah, yeah he's not getting any he's services. Not getting any and he's services. not the only child. Yeah, I presume this you know, goes a lot deeper than every and a lot battle. farther the than The same Aaron. having to go into school and battle for a particular chair for him. You know, I've yeah. never had to battle for a chair for my two daughters. They go into school and there's a chair for them. Yeah. Aaron's isn't so when other mums are going off to have a nice you know coffee morning or whatever go to work or do I'm off to battle with somebody you know my son needs a chair yeah. and that takes so long then to try and get that and what happens to him in the meantime but being part of this organisation must be helping you just to have the support of other parents absolutely and and just that you and that was the reason when I was asked to become the president um, we were fighting a particular battle and I knew becoming the president would mute me to a certain extent because I could say what I wanted as a parent and, and say this is it but as the president you're representing everybody Yeah, you know and you have to be conscious of that and um, everything takes time but it opened me up to this whole new political world mm. and how slow things happen. I knew where Leinster House was, but I'd never been in it. And all of a sudden they thought I was related to one of the <laughs> TDs because my surname was Doherty, you know. Yeah and, yeah. and I was up there that often. But you just see how slow things go and that we don't really live in a democracy when you see the way things work in there. Yeah. Um, and everybody has good intentions. We had a cross party committee. So you think everybody's on board with this. And it still took two years. Yeah. You know, and we got the minimum. The minimum at the time was three hours. So they decided to keep us quiet and give us two and a half hours. Mary, we're going to have to take a break, but we're going to come back to yourself in about two minutes. Is that okay? okay? Thanks very much. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome back to Late Lunch. I'm speaking with Mary Doherty from Down Syndrome, Ireland. And we're speaking about your gorgeous little boy, 10-year-old Aaron. Now, Mary, can you tell me a little bit about um, everyday life with Aaron? I mean, do you feel like you're constantly fighting a running battle for his rights as a human being? Yes, that's that's the that's the short answer. Um, and I think every parent out there of a child with disability would say the same. Um, just er- Everything is is a constant battle. Some things will come easier and some things won't and it'll depend and but you're always thinking of the next the next hurdle and where do I go and who do I go with. and most parents are just exhausted. Yeah. They really imagine. are just just from all the like it's exhausting being a parent. It's exhausting because your child has special needs that you have to work harder with their homework or you have to work harder to get them to or from school or get them into the school in the first place, get the help for them. Um, and then on top of that, you you've just everyday battles which which is just exhausting. It, it it should be easier. Have you concerns for him going forward? I mean, he's 10 now, so another couple of years, secondary school is looming. Well, that's the next big hurdle for us. Mm. So come January or early next year, I start battling for secondary school. For, for a Aaron. place for him. Yes, and, and where and uh, what suits him and where he should or shouldn't go and what are our choices mm. um, around the area. And, and every parent... and. It's a nightmare. It's not like with the girls. There's a local secondary school. That's where they're going to go. And I don't have any issue. As, as soon as they leave, they just go. And, and, and 
it's a, you know an easy transition but for him it's well where is he going to go does it suit him what's going to happen will the supports be there and you start the battle two years earlier again Again. all over again For a and you know day. kids when they leave school from 6th class they want to go where their friends are going Absolutely, they all want to go to I know my own kids wanted to go to such and such because such and such was going there and and, and it seems important when you're in 6th class the truth of it when they got a, a year or so they met a whole new bunch of friends and, and left behind the kids that they left behind in national school but for Aaron if he has a couple of lovely close friends he'll want to go where they're going won't he? He will and the other thing Joan too is he, he's known he's known where he lives and mm. you know regardless of whether it's a special school or a mainstream school why should he have to leave his village? Why should he have to leave where he is and spend Absolutely. an hour or an hour and a half in a car each day to get to school? Absolutely absolutely. If it's not our choice. Yeah. You know? So your fears for him going forward then even beyond secondary school? Well, at the moment, we have a great ability programme started in uh, Down Syndrome Ireland and it's all about our adults and it's trying to get our adults um, ready for employment. So while a lot of people come up to me now and say, you know, can I give you a donation? Would you like this? I say, that's brilliant. Of course, we'd love your money. But can you give a person with Down Syndrome a job? And yeah. a, a meaningful job, a meaningful employment. And there are a lot of adults out there that have got meaningful employment um, and it's great for them and it gives them their independence and sure that that's what we're all about yeah. at the end of the day that's all you want is your child to grow up happy and as independent as they possibly can and for life for their siblings to be made easier Absolutely that they can look after themselves that you yes. don't have to worry because every parent wants their kids to be happy healthy and able to support themselves and live an independent life And there will always be a certain amount that their siblings will have to care yeah. and, and for some there'll be more care needed than others but it shouldn't be made so hard Do you think lately I think in mainstream media we're seeing an awful lot more people with Down syndrome being um, integrated into some of the soaps I think in EastEnders now yes. there's a character and also have you seen that gorgeous girl Madeline she's a model yes. Madeline Stewart in Australia and it's it's fantastic because do you know what if you ever talk to an adult with Down syndrome or a young child like Aaron talks about when he's going to get married and he talks about what he's going to work at and when he goes to college and when he goes to school and why shouldn't they dream like everybody else do you know what I mean they are like everybody else so we've made them so different for so long but they're actually not they're the same there's more alike with his siblings than not like his siblings um, and, and the same with every person with Down syndrome out there Absolutely and tell us a little bit about what he's up to I heard a little rumour that he's he's on the TV these days Aaron went and, and got himself a job um, he oh. auditioned for um, the Dunn Stores ad we didn't know it was Dunn Stores at the time the Christmas ad um, and when we got there um, he told me that he was 10 and it was his acting and he was going in himself so he went into the room. I didn't know what he did. He got a call back, went into the room. I didn't know what he did. And then we heard he got the ad. So he is uh, on the John Stores Christmas ad. So he's on that, that new one where they're lighting up the town. The lighting is, up is the town. Is that the one? Yes. Oh, yes. OK. I've watched that ad. And his poster okay. is up. It's in the airport. We're getting texts off people to say where his poster is up. Um, he's loving the fame. But you know what, Joan? For me, I've never seen him more comfortable in a world. Ever. Really, in all the things we've done with him and for him he just seemed to get into this world and he loved it he had loads of questions they asked him did he want to be an actor he said no I want to be behind the camera he directed um, he's just really comfortable in this particular world and it's a world I suppose even in Down Syndrome Ireland we're looking at the corporate worlds all the time for our adults and maybe yeah. we shouldn't maybe we should be looking at the arts the as well arts and, and the media and I know Shay Castley is working with some of the adults in Prosper about the media and maybe you know everything it's the same as for all our children. Absolutely. There's loads of options for everybody. And there's always something 
for everybody as Doesn't well. it just show you? He's just the same as any other young guy with a talent and with an interest in media, an interest in the arts and entertainment. Oh, I'm going home now to look at that ad tonight <laughs> with different eyes. I'm going to keep an eye out from Mary. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. And the best of luck and a very, very happy Christmas to you and all the family. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas too. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. Welcome back to Late Lunch. And in front of me here in the studio on the desk is one of the most beautiful toys I suppose you could call it a beautiful doll's house is sitting in front of me I was chatting earlier with my producer Sinead about our favourite toys things we got as Chris, for Christmas presents when we were kids and definitely this doll's house would have been top of my list if I was an 8 year old girl again Oh my god it's stunning and do you know what I love about it Joan as well it's sort of that traditional style doll house where the whole front opens mm. and you could just imagine a little girl or a boy because you know we're in gender specific society now yeah. uh, running down the stairs and uh, just absolutely loving that. Do you have a present, Joan, that you remember... I did have a doll's house very similar to this because of course I'm ancient so I did have a doll's house (laughs) very like this that my granny got me now my granny died when I was 10 so I think I was about 6 when I I got this present from my grandma and it did the front of it completely opened up it had all tiny furniture inside the tiny people inside and three floors like this one an attic a a top floor and a ground floor and I remember it clearly it was gorgeous and very very similar to this but we were talking during the week and I know what you're looking for you're looking for the info on why my hips and my legs are so sore <laughs> because my favourite thing I ever got as a kid was a pair of roller skates Yes, and I was absolutely brilliant on them I have to say when I was a youngster and into my early teens I used to roller skate to school and all of that and then hide the skates under the desk and all of this got in trouble many times but last week sitting up late one night half twelve at night browsing Amazon what did I see? Boot skates white, look like oh, ice skates, wow. roller skates. Not these old blades. I can't no, no, be dealing no. with them. Old school roller old blades school with the four wheels. Four yeah, wheels yeah, yeah. and the big lump of a brake in the front. And what did I do? I hit by, didn't I, on Amazon. <laughs> so they arrived the other day. They arrived on Friday. I was going down to visit my parents in Galway. I brought them with me for the crack, brought them into the kitchen, showed them to my father. He immediately had palpitations, thought he'd be bringing me to the hospital. I was whizzing up and down the hall in my parents' house on these roller skates <laughs> and I'm the other side of 50. <laughs> Joan, and you're never too crack. old for Rollerblades, I'm sorry, t- roller skates. Well, listen, on not Saturday. Saturday was grand. Sunday, I couldn't move. I was wondering, what is wrong with my shoulder blades, my hips, my legs? I was in bits. I couldn't realize. I didn't realize what it was. And thought, hang on a minute now. They're very, very heavy. These boot skates. Yeah, the new ones that are out now. They're very, very heavy. So that's all it was. Simple as that. Unfish. Need to get fish. So Blackwater <laughs> Park in Navan. You better watch out. <laughs> watch out for Joan zooming around there. Yeah, in the near the future. Yeah. What about? yourself? Well, I think just on the theme of dolls' houses and stuff, I would have gotten dolls' houses as well, but the most favourite Christmas toy that I got was Barbie's Kitchen, which absolutely just wrecked everybody's head in our house on Christmas morning because it had, of course, all bells and whistles and lights and there was a phone with a big long cord on it that you could sort of wrap around Barbie's ear and there was a microwave and there was a cooker and all that sort of stuff. So there was all the lovely noises of time to check the oven and ring, ring and phone ringing and all that sort of malarkey. On, on Christmas morning so yeah that was my top toy You old domestic goddess you yeah, haven't yeah. changed one bit <laughs> have you? <laughs> but now I have a lovely young lady
lady sitting in front of me here and she's responsible for this gorgeous doll's house. Um, a young lady called Blonnet Sweeney from Knockbridge in County Louth. You're very welcome to LMFM Late Lunch. Blonnet, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Joan. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak about this little project that I've been working on. Little project. <laughs> this is an absolutely stunning piece of work. But before we talk about the house, tell me a little bit about yourself, Blonnet. What are you up to? What do you do? So I'm 22 years of age. Um, I am working at the moment in retail. Um, I had started college in 2014. I'd always wanted to be a vet and I dropped out after the first semester. So really in the interim, I've been gathering some work experience and a feel for what it might be like to explore other options. So hang on a minute, you got enough points to do veterinary medicine. And so straight away now I'm looking across the table at a brain box here. So well done on that. But it wasn't for you. No, I think when we're we have our expectations of Mm. what sort of a career, what a career might be. And then through insights that you receive in the course, Mm -hmm. it doesn't maybe match up with those expectations. So I suppose I realised that quite early on. And um, well, it's good that you did. Absolutely. It's it's great to be able to get out and even experience interviews for jobs and different things like that. So looking at this project here in front of me, I'd say art is more the way you're going or interior design or something like that. Well, art, it has always been a passion of mine. I would have studied art to junior cert level and put together a, a portfolio for that purpose. But really, I suppose even when I'm at home in my my free time, I'm most content when my hands aren't idle and I'm kept on the go. So so um, now I'm looking at this, this gorgeous doll's house here. So where did you get it, the house? Where did you come across it, Blanet? Well, really, it was a lucky find. One day I was walking through the Long Walk Shopping Centre in Dundalk with my mum. We were heading back to the car and there was a pop-up charity shop which operates on a Thursday and a Friday, as far as I know. And just at the door sat this, it was an empty shell, I suppose. It was sound to look at, um, complete, had been painted on the outside, but for all the world, it had the appearance of a forgotten project. Mm. Somebody had gone to the trouble of putting swatches of paint up on the walls, but perhaps they just didn't get the opportunity to do it and then it was left in an attic so it was brilliant to have a blank canvas to work on. So you saw this as you're rambling through the shopping centre with your mum and you said oh I'm going to buy that. To do what with? Did you have an idea what you wanted it for? You know what as soon as we saw it we both sort of simultaneously looked at one another and my mum said look it's 20 euro you 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 pay 10 I'll pay 10 and at first we kind of thought sure I have lots of cousins so it would make a lovely present for Christmas mm. but I suppose on a bitterly cold day like today it just it has a way of reminding me of the privileges that I have and probably that I take for granted and how difficult it must be for the people who are facing maybe their first or their second or perhaps they've had multiple Christmases or winters when they don't have a home. Without a roof over their heads. A remarkable thing to think about a young girl who sees a doll's house in a shopping centre and thinks I could take that on as a project and I could try to raise funds for for people who are homeless. Exactly. And the charity which I have chosen, I suppose, nominated to raise money for is the Peter McFerry Trust. Um, I suppose my own family would have supported the trust and even from Peter himself, he's a, a social activist, so I would have heard him speaking on the radio and he would have appeared on television as well and really I admire him so much. He has dedicated his entire vocation to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, today we live in a society where those of us who are privileged, a lot of us think maybe that we have more talents and more ambitions and more to give than homeless people, whereas Peter McFerry, he actually shares a room with people with bunk beds. You know, he he's he puts himself in the heart of the homeless community. Yeah. And um, as I say, he's a remarkable man and the accolades and 
the different awards that have been bestowed upon him are just testament to that really. So you decided you were going to make this a project and then you were going to, are you raffling this? Are you taking bids on it like a, uh, I'm an accep- online auction? Exactly. I'm accepting mm. offers from anybody, even people who are listening at the moment. Um, perhaps this would appeal to the collector in your life or as you, you mentioned at the, the top of our, our talk there, um, a child. I mean, I, I can imagine the excitement running down on Christmas morning and finding this under the tree and deciding which of my toys I was going to put into it. Yeah, um, okay. So we're on radio now so people yes. can't see it. Yes. So, I mean, I could describe it, but I wouldn't be able to describe it as well as you. So do you want to go ahead and tell people exactly what it looks like? Sure. So the outside of the house, it is called a Belgrave blue. So it's like a lovely, warm, dark teal. Um, I used chalk paint to, to put, I suppose, to paint the outside of it. Mm-hmm. And the windows and I suppose the that which frames the door is white which I've sanded back so it looks a little bit distressed so I kind of wanted to keep it authentic in line with the fact that you don't see an awful lot of wooden doll's houses anymore everything is disposable and plastic so Mm -hmm. it has a bit of an aged appearance but inside I suppose I've injected a lot of my imagination and creativity into it so there's a bit of a modern twist on it Um, on the bottom right hand corner there's a bumblebee yellow kitchen which I made with tic-tac boxes um, really? All those little cupboards? I'm <laughs> going off cupboards. mic for a second to have a feel of these. Yeah. Just pull them out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> the cupboards, as you say, yeah. they're bumblebee yellow. The cupboards work. They're little hooks and they're, they're called eye hooks that I used to make it look like handles. The floor, um, the floor when I actually got the house first, somebody had stuck down, they were like stones as though they had tried to make a bathroom effect. Mm. So I chiselled those out and then replaced the floor. So I used backing card that would be placed behind a photograph and cut it to size, measured it out and then used chalk painting techniques to make the black and white tiled effect on the floor. To make a kitchen floor, so, yeah. Um, a lot of work goes into that in masking tape and doing different layers and using stippling with the chalk paint. Yeah. Um, so the kitchen itself is it's like a soft duck egg colour um, and I've also incorporated the, the scrabble pieces and little offcuts yeah. of of lollipop sticks and pop the place the kitchen together. And there's a huge living room with a staircase leading up onto the first floor. Exactly. And you have little lights hanging in there. Exactly. There are lights here, there and everywhere. Um, they, they actually have the appearance of miniature light bulbs. Um, the living room, the floor of the living room is actually made of decoupaged wallpaper. Um, yeah. Emerald green walls. There's, I suppose, like gold golden streaks I've kind of tried yeah, to make it again you can see it looks a bit that distressed, distressed look that exactly. kind of um, what do they call it it's all the go nowadays isn't it making something new look old exactly the gold yeah. gilding and then leading up then from what you could call the sitting room just ready for people to pop their, their toys and furniture into could be an upstairs bedroom yeah. um, I have painted the walls with primrose yellow and off-white stripe so it, it's something it's quite old fashioned but as you say um, it, everything comes back in so yeah um, and then we have a pink a pink bedroom on the other side with a what are those little oh like little um, they're little Russian, Russian dolls. dolls yes the <laughs> Russian dolls they have been decoupaged onto the wall um, again I've used their little wooden sticks which I cut to size to give the appearance of um, tongue and groove kind of yeah. go, going around and like a border me- Tell me about these curtains. Each set of curtains, handmade, one, two, three, four, five, five windows in the front of the house and a door that opens. And tell me about these curtains. You made all of those by hand as well? Yes, I did indeed. I think because they're so small and it's a miniature house, um, I would prefer to do it by hand, which which I always do. I love engaging in embroidery and that kind of thing. So again, the curtains, they will, they're in theme with each of the rooms. So the pink room, which 
it kind of reminds me of maybe like a child's bedroom and mm. um, has pink curtains with polka dots to match. Um, and then of course the cool thing about this house which I love is the roof comes off it exactly. and you've got an entire attic space up there as well. Y- yes. Waiting for space. its little miniature snooker table and its little I think TV so. it, and it, whatever. It reminds me of a games room. The, the walls yeah. they've been painted grey yeah. um, with white border and then the floor again I've used a chalk painting technique called stippling to create like a burgundy and off-white yeah. checkerboard effect on the floor. Have you any idea where the house came from originally? We don't, as I say, no. and it was such a good question. I know, it, yeah. you, know you asked me that before I came in. Um, I, again, it was a charity shop. It, it yeah. just had in the Dundalk. appearance of a forgotten project and it was really lovely to have the opportunity to inject new life into it with, right. with a good cause. So let's get the ball mind. rolling on this. So uh, how can people view the house? How can they see it? Well, they can go on to our uh, LMFM Facebook, um, Instagram or Twitter and they can see it there. But how can people make bids on it? Because that's, that's what this is all about, isn't it, admit it to raise funds for the homeless? It's to raise funds and to raise awareness. Um, so I, I can be contacted, I have my email, um, also through the Facebook page. I'm sure with the, if the ladies are going to share it on the Facebook yes, page, there are. will be a link to mm-hmm. myself, my own page. And my email address is, my, my contact details are there. Um, the, Lovely. The email is, it's blonadsweeney at gmail.com. Um, and it's B-L-A-T-H-N-A-I-D. S-W-E-E-N-E-Y at gmail.com and any offers would be kindly accepted. Um, And also in the interim, if any local business was willing to even pop the house on display, if they had retail space, um, we could even, to raise extra funds, have some donations that people, you know, if they're not maybe willing to, not willing, but I mean, I know it can be Someone could have this on display in their Christmas window in their shop somewhere and and just to raise the interest with it, with with a little uh, link to where the people can donate. Exactly. Blonnet, it's a wonderful project and fair play to you. Well done. Well, thank you very much. Well done. And thanks a million for coming in to see us today. We're going to wrap the show this afternoon now with uh, Mr. Robbie Williams and Millennium. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.